in the New Testament. The epistles, the letters that were written to the congregations, some to individuals. That's what I was going to try to do on Sunday nights. I, I, I insisted I wasn't going to hold myself to that because I might change my mind some Sunday night. But tonight I'm going to continue with that. In November we looked at First and Second Corinthians. Tonight and next Sunday night, I want to look at First and Second Timothy. I really had it in mind to try to put these two epistles together and just make it one lesson, but as I began to think about it, I realized there is so much difference between First and Second Timothy. It just might not be a, a good idea to try to combine them in the same study. Second uh, Timothy is just a completely different tone, written by a man who knows that his time here on this earth is short. Just a, a completely different tone to Second Timothy. And so I've decided perhaps two shorter lessons might be the way to go, especially since next Sunday night uh, I'm going to try to make it a short lesson so I can make it down to the Hall to support Bradley. And so uh, tonight... And next Sunday night, first and then second Timothy. The lessons will should be relatively short. We are introduced to Timothy in Acts chapter 16. A young man uh, heading out on a mission trip with the Apostle Paul. First Timothy must have been written after Paul was released by the Romans. You know, we know the story about appealing to Caesar and and being carried to Rome, and, and he, we know that he was released uh, that particular time. And, and this epistle must have been written sometime after that. That would have put it in the, the early 60s A.D. It was written from the position of someone who was, uh, number one, a close friend, number two, who was a co-worker, and I think we could safely say was, was perhaps a father figure. Uh, to Timothy. Paul was concerned about this young man being sent to do a really big job with the, the congregation that he was with, and we know that that was at, at Ephesus. Paul was concerned about Timothy and what he would be facing there, and he wanted to both instruct him and encourage him to continue to stick to the gospel truth no more and no less. And that's what we see in the book of 1 Timothy. It seems that perhaps Paul's primary concern was the false teaching that was already going on in Ephesus. And we think sometimes, I, I believe, that this thing of, of error and false doctrine being something that is relatively new, perhaps it just uh, began in the last uh, 50 to 100 years or so. Brothers and sisters, nothing could be further from the truth. False doctrine has been preached and taught from the very beginning, and it was happening at, at Ephesus. Now some of it involved the law of Moses. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 3, we can see that some of it involved the law. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. It was a problem already. Nor give heed 
to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Now notice verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. And so we had folks there in Ephesus who were, were trying to preach and teach who didn't know how. They, they really did not, were not firmly grounded in the, in the truth themselves, and so they were teaching error. They were teaching things that were not correct, and it appears that they were dabbling in things that literally didn't matter one way or the other, and it was just causing, causing confusion and causing folks to, to get upset and, and, and tore up over these things for, for no reason. It, there, there was no reason to even talk about those endless genealogies and, and, and fables. It was just messing up the congregation in Ephesus. Problems with the law were a... That was a common problem. Uh, in the early days of the church. If you look at the Galatian letter, you would see that the biggest problem they had in Galatia was the Judaizing teachers. If you read the book of Hebrews, the, the gist of Hebrews is that the law of Moses has been replaced by something better, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so problems concerning the law of Moses were, were common in the first century. The law was not binding. After Jesus died on the cross and the church was established, the law of Moses no longer binding on them, nor is it on us today. But problems with the law were not the only problems. Look with me at chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, and in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and, and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. False teachers who were willing to do that, and they didn't even care that they were not teaching the truth, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Sounds like a very common religion in our day, forbidding to marry, and there's certain foods you can't eat. Sounds like a very popular religion in our day. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. We can... We can eat all the pork we want to, uh, my, my friends. It's not good for us, but it's not a sin to eat it. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, then you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, Timothy, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject 
profane and, and old wives' fables and, and, and exercise yourself towards godliness. We can get into some things even in our day. There's just some things, folks, that the Bible doesn't give us all the details on. You know, uh, we, we know everything that we need to know to make it to heaven. If you're like me, I must admit, sometimes I read something from the Bible and there's a question mark that comes into my mind. I, 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 I want to know more about it. Uh, t- tell me more. I, I need to hear more. And the Bible just doesn't do it. Remember John tells us at the end of his gospel that there were lots of other things that Jesus did that are not written uh, in the books. And he says if they were written I, one by one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There, that, you just couldn't write it all down. There just wasn't room and wasn't time to write down every little detail about everything that happened uh, in those days. And so try to, if you're like me and you have those questions, it's okay to wonder about it. Don't, don't make an issue out of it. Don't make it an issue. Don't waste time pondering on things that the Bible just doesn't tell us. Let, us. let us focus on those things. As he says here, exercise yourself towards godliness, the things that we know in the Bible. Bodily exercise profits a little. It's not a bad thing. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end... We both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And he says in verse 11, These things command Timothy and teach. That's what he needed to do there at Ephesus with the false teaching that was going on, with the things that were happening that were just confusing and upsetting the brethren there in Ephesus. Just focus, Timothy, on on these things. Godliness, the things that you know, the things that the gospel teaches. Focus on those things. But Timothy would need some help. And so Paul gives Timothy the qualifications for eldership. Men who could help lead the congregation and help the congregation stay on the straight and narrow way. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the qualifications for eldership. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, elder, bishop, presbyter, overseer, all the same office. If a man desires the position of a bishop, then he desires a good work. That's a good thing. But we should say that a man cannot be forced to be a bishop. If a man really doesn't feel like that the office of elder is good for him, this is not something that I really need to undertake, then he is best not to do it. It is a great thing if a man is willing, is willing to step forward and knowing that he can help his congregation and help the church as a whole, if he accepts the position of eldership, that's a great thing. But a man always needs to understand this is, this is not a title, it's a job. There is, there is work for an elder 
to do. And if a man is not willing to accept that responsibility, he should reject, he should reject the position and, and never accept it at all. A bishop then must be blameless. That, that can't mean perfect because then nobody would qualify. I think it just means a good, faithful Christian. Husband of one wife, one living wife we might say. Temperate, that means he's, he, he's in control of himself. He's sober-minded. He's of good behavior. Hospitable. And in that day, being hospitable might have been more important than it is in our day. Now, don't get me wrong, an elder needs to be hospitable. If somebody needs to come into his house and, and sit down and talk with him, he needs to have that open door at any time. But in this day and time, not as many hotels and motels and places to stay as there are today. And so in this, this day and time, being hospitable was really important. Able to teach. Got to know the Bible well enough. Doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be up in the pulpit every Sunday, but he's got to be able to preach and teach the Word. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. He's got to be gentle and not quarrelsome and not covetousness. Not covetous. One who rules his own house well. Having his children in submission with all reverence. If, well, if I was about to say what verse 5 says. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, then how will he take care of the church of God? And so having his own home in order is important. Not a novice. This is not a job for a new Christian. This is not a job for somebody who hasn't been a member of the church very long. Not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are on the outside. People who are not Christians who don't go to church with us need to be able to look at our elders and say, he's a good man. I might not agree with all of his religious beliefs, but he's a good man. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, th those are not suggestions for eldership. Those are the rules. Those are the qualifications. Man cannot be an elder unless he meets these qualifications. He follows that with the qualifications for the deacons, which are, are, are very, very similar. And we are fortunate here to have elders. We have deacons. Those deacons do a fantastic job. I, I might mention uh, carrying on uh, the work here at the congregation. They do a terrific job. We're fortunate to have men in those positions. He finishes his letter by reminding Timothy to make sure the Ephesians know that they cannot count on the things of this world. Being comfortable is not a sin. Having the things that we need is not a sin. But we cannot build our life around the material things of this world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, then he is proud, knowing nothing. He really doesn't. 
but is obsessed with disputes and, and, and arguments over, over words. That's what we were talking about before. And from which come envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. For those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and and, and into a snare and into many foolish and, and harmful lusts which will drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that money is evil. It says love of it. Love of those kind of things is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We, we need a certain amount of things to be comfortable and to provide for our families. Every, every husband, every, every father in this congregation wants to make sure their family is, is well provided for. That's a great thing. But we cannot build our lives around those things because we will lose it all. When we step into eternity, we leave it all behind. Paul wants to make sure that Timothy lets the Ephesians know you don't get to keep these things. He closes out in verses 20 and 21 by saying, O Timothy, he says, Paul, without question, thought so highly of of Timothy and had and had such great hopes for this young man. Uh, oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and, and idle babblings and, and contradictions of, of what is falsely called knowledge. Error and false teaching was, was far too prevalent there in Ephesus. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen, he says. As we mentioned, next Sunday night the plan is to do Second Timothy and it is an, an entirely different, different message. Paul is imprisoned by the Romans. He knows that his time here on this earth is short. Second Timothy is really... It is really a sad message. And we will look at it next Sunday night, if the Lord wills. Tonight we close by offering the Lord's invitation. It's always possible that there's someone here who is not a Christian who has made the decision to make a change for the better in their life, either by obeying the gospel, becoming a member of the Lord's body, or perhaps realizing that they have fallen away. They've not been as faithful as they should have been. Whichever the case may be with you, if you need to make a change in your life and put yourself in good standing with God, we are ready and waiting to help you get that done. 
If you've never obeyed the gospel, you can repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Go into the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. You can do that this very night. Perhaps you have been a Christian for perhaps a, lo- a, long po- a large portion of your life for several years. Uh, just haven't been as faithful as you should have been. Respond to the invitation. Ask for the prayers of the faithful. Be restored. While we stand and sing.